Welcome to another episode of the Your Home Buying Guide podcast. This is your one-stop shop home buying guide, where every week I'm going to bring in industry experts uh, to answer all of the most common home buying questions. I'm your host, Guy DiPlacito, and this week we are joined by Spencer Malloy of Next Home Modern Realty. And Spencer, I want to start this off letting you brag about yourself for a little bit. So kind of introduce yourself, share your background in real estate, particularly with owning short-term rental property. So I'm Spencer. I graduated from Nichols in 2021. I got into the vacation rental business three to four months afterwards. I didn't really have a background in real estate, you know, rentals at all. It was kind of a situation where you kind of learn on the fly and see how it goes from there. I did get my real estate license in August. Some vacation rentals went live end of August, September, somewhere in there. And we had started taking our first bookings and stuff like that for the following summer in October. And we specifically do lakefront properties. We don't do a lot of like off lake, smaller homes. These are all, you know, six, seven plus bedroom places. And they have a lot of repeat guests. We do use Airbnb and Verbo to an extent, but a lot of them are pretty much direct bookings, which is becoming more of an industry kind of norm, but was at the time fairly uncommon for our market, at least, to have so many people coming directly to us versus using those bigger platforms. So how many properties are you up to right now? We have 22. That is a, is that 22 doors or 22 individual properties? Are any of them multifamilies or? 22 individual properties. And we don't own the ones on the lake. Those we manage for other people, but those are 22 individual homes. They range, I think the cheapest one we've got is about Four thousand dollars a week. The most expensive being fourteen. All right, cash flow is good. Love that. <laughs> uh, so, what? I mean, what motivated you to start investing in short-term rentals? You know, it, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do out of college. I was still kind of working at Home Depot, which was my summer job I had in college and throughout high school. And I kind of graduated and was in this like space of you know, what's next? Yeah. What do I want to do? What am I good at? I, I knew I liked people. I knew I could talk to people pretty well. Rentals was kind of like one of those weird situations. You just, you know, take a shot and see see what happens, see where it goes from there. But definitely wasn't my initial plan. Okay. I, I didn't really have a plan to this. I had the opportunity to do this and I learned how to do it and got good at it. Learned on the fly. I love that. Exactly. So in the in the past, I've had on a couple of realtors that do long term rentals. Like they own multifamily properties, rent outsides. What are some of the key advantages to going short-term rentals versus that traditional long-term rental? You, you're making, I guess it, this is going to be an advantage and a disadvantage. Short-term rentals, there's a lot more potential to make a lot more money. If you think about a house, I'll just give you an example for a lake house, right? You have somebody who rents a minimum of seven days stay in the summer. Yeah. Let's say the house is in the middle of the price point, so it's like six grand. You usually get between fifteen to twenty percent commission on whatever that gross rental is. So you take your rental rate times that by twenty percent. That's what you get. Now times that by a house that will rent six or seven times in a summer or more. It's a pretty healthy commission that you're collecting versus a long term rental where you're only getting you know the same amount every single month, and it's not of Normally, like a six or seven thousand dollar rental, it's you know two thousand, eighteen hundred. A lot of times, you're only getting for long term rentals one month's commission versus that little like residual income over time. With short term rentals, the more people you get through the door, more turnover you have, the more money you make. 
So it's also highly motivating too. Got it. Got it. So what, I mean, you said that you were focused pretty much solely on waterfront property right now. Outside of like, if you were to, if you were to become an investor for some of the, the listeners out there, what other like locations, property types tend to work well for short-term rentals in general? You want properties that are going to be near like year-round market of some kind. So you want the ideal short-term rental property on average does between 40, even 50% occupancy. That's bare minimum. If you look up a statistic, you should be able to make about $13,000 off a property, just you know, dropping it, basic setup, putting on Airbnb and Verbo, you should be able to get that normally. Pending it's a clean property and people, you know, like to go. Yeah. If you want to push that occupancy rate up to like 60, 70%, you want to be in a market that has, for example, a mountain in the winter, at least in New England. You want a mountain, something to do in the winter. You want somewhere like that has activities in the summer. In our case, we have a lake and a mountain. They're about 10 minutes apart, so it works. But then your key to it is filling the fall and spring seasons. Notoriously, fall is leaf peeping season until about mid-October, and then, you know, it's dead in New England until yeah. winter kicks back in. So if you have something that can attract hikers, being near a mountain that's not only open in the winter to ski, but has hiking trails, mountain biking is another big one. That helps offset those occupancy rates in the fall. And then vice versa, when it gets to spring and the snow melts, and you get back into the hiking and biking and all that kind of that pre-summer, that also helps drive occupancy. Not being a full-time in like investment property, if you don't, if you're using the property throughout the year, that's almost better for the New England market because it's offsetting your operating costs to have something that you get to enjoy. Other than not being near those, you know, year-round type places, it's very hard to make money on an investment property in New Hampshire on the Airbnb and short-term rental side of things. Got it. So that kind of rolls perfectly into the next question here. But like, what common mistakes should potential potential buyers avoid when entering the short-term market? And what lessons like have you learned so far? Not every property, even though you like it, is a good. Just because you like it doesn't mean it's going to make money. The property could be the coolest thing in the world. It just because you think it's cool doesn't mean other people will, and doesn't mean it's going to be successful. And then pricing is the second piece too. Much like selling a house, you know, a lot of people think their home might be worth a million dollars. It's really only worth like two hundred, you know, three hundred. That is the same concept for an Airbnb property. You think your house might rent. Three, four hundred bucks a night. In reality, it's worth 150, 200. Not understanding those pricing guidelines will kill your investment right out of the gate. Okay. So, again, like, how are you figuring out how to price it? Like, do you have some sort of algorithm? Like, what are, what are you trying to figure out right now on the pricing side? We do a little bit of both. So, we have quite a few softwares that help kind of guide the pricing as far as what's the market, what can the market hold, what's too cheap. What's everyone else charging? How are their occupancy rates? And then we have a little bit of market knowledge just from doing it you know, enough and figuring out here's what our repeat guests will pay versus what a new guest will pay. Notoriously, you can capture that repeat guest by their first day. You have it priced a little bit cheaper. So let's say you come and stay with us, right? And you came in through one of the platforms, Airbnb, Verbo, or something like that. We try to tailor that pricing towards you so that it's not so expensive that it turns you off but it's expensive enough that we can still make money and you want to come back and kind of like check it out. You know, if, if you overprice things and then people have a bad experience, they don't give it a second shot. If you kind of hit them right in the middle, it almost makes them think, okay, well, there might've been one or two things I didn't like, but I can't beat the price. So I'll try it again and see what happens. And that's where 
we make this like bait and switch. We we price it enough that you want to come back because it's affordable, but then we kind of swing back in and say, hey, look, you know, if you come back next year, not only do you get to book, you know, way ahead, but your pricing's locked in too, which is huge. I'm sure with any short-term rental, there's you're obviously trying to make money at the end of the day, but when you're buying a house, if you're if you, if you are buying a house strictly for the idea of I want to make this a short-term rental, are you looking at it like I need to make sure that I am profiting every single like month, every single quarter, every single year, or are you doing it really for the long-term, I guess, return? You have to decide what's your target. So we have clients who use this strictly as investments. We have clients who have no intention of making a ton of money at this. This is just a way to keep their house. It's just offsetting operating costs. And by establishing that strategy, it actually helps you on the flip side with pricing. Because if you know what your taxes are, what your operating costs are to have this house or the second home, and then you say, okay, well, I only need seven or eight weeks booked. That allows us to play with pricing enough that well, we can get somebody in there for seven or eight weeks because we we understand the essentially we understand the assignment for what we're doing. Versus an investment property, you have a lot more factors. Like you have an operating cost for a house year round versus six or seven weeks. You have everything that comes in with a short term rental. Like your guest is still using utilities. Your guest is still living in a house, you know, day after day, week after week. So there's wear and tear on a home. Homes that rent for shorter periods of time to kind of like offset and pay for itself a lot easier to control. An investment property that's turning over every seven days, every three days, there's a lot of outside, especially in New England, operating costs associated with it, which eat away a lot at your investment. I mean, winter alone, snow plowing bills can run 50 to 100 bucks a pass. So you figure you're only renting 300 bucks a night. I guess might only be staying three days. You get one snowstorm in there, you know, over a quarter of your rental income is gone, just keeping the place open. So what are some of the outside, like you obviously just mentioned snow plowing, like what are some of those hidden costs that people might not think of when going to put in an offer? So you have operating costs like snow plow, log care in the summer. If you have an investing property, you need somebody who's going to come rake the leaves, mow the lot, trash. It's another big one. Everybody seems to forget about trash. When your guest comes, you need a way to get rid of it. That's another about 50 bucks a month or so for a weekly pickup. Your next biggest hurdle is a management company. You know, we have to, you have to have somebody on call who can come and make sure the trash is gone, make sure the house is clean. If there's a problem, your light bulb goes out or God forbid we lose power like we do in New England. You need someone who's going to be there for those guests because it's, it's kind of scary when you're at somebody else's house with no power or there's an emergency and management companies cost money. You know, like I said, between 15 and 20% comes right off the top of your rental income just by having somebody there to make sure everything's okay. Okay. So- in your experience, again, you've been doing this for a good amount, frankly. Like, obviously, you just started right out of college, but at this point, you've been doing it for a couple of years. Like, what are the key skills, qualities that are making you successful in this realm? And how can somebody else kind of get those skills built up at this point? We're almost honest to a fault. And I know that sounds kind of cliche to say as a realtor or a broker, everybody's honest, you know, but. We we almost have too much of a problem being honest. If, if we had this example a couple times this past summer, when we had a, like quite bad weather up here, you know, we had a period of time where we had a lot of flooding. There was you know some situations that just weren't great um, in the Vermont New Hampshire area, and that whole time, you know, we had 
guests in residence. I mean, we had people going, I myself was at a house literally holding down a dock, you know, by hand. So these people wouldn't lose, you know, their boats and all those kind of things. We've, we've had guests to, you know, go into a house and there might be a fire alarm or something going on rather than just saying, you know, Hey, let's, you know, you get through it or figure it out. We're there. We are responding within an hour or less, you know, we're moving them. We're talking to the guests. We're keeping them informed. When, when people think of an Airbnb and verbal property, they think it's like a turnkey thing. You put somebody in, they pay the money and that's it. You know, it's a quick get rich, you know, type scheme. And it's really not the, the secret to, you can have a guest that has the worst experience possible. And we've had guests that have showed up to houses and, you know, they've been the ones who got to stay during the floods and they lost power and you know, the toilets backed up and they still leave five-star reviews. It, it's really about the communication, the people side, remembering that there's a human you're dealing with, you know, in between. And that method actually has never failed us. We, we really, if you go on our Airbnbs and read reviews, almost everyone is a five-star review. And many of them, when the, if they've had an issue, will say, you know, we had XYZ problem. Overall, the experience was great. You know, the management company was fantastic, yeah. which is kind of odd. You know, it's kind of a weird thing, but it's like the secret to Airbnb and Burbos. That advice kind of goes everywhere, right? I mean, you said it for brokers, realtors, loan officers, it's the same thing too. Like you need to make sure that you're building as much trust as possible. And communication is everything in this industry. You know, this is very much a, a customer service role for the large majority of it, right? Hopefully, and this goes for realtors, it goes for short-term rentals, it goes for loan officers. Hopefully this isn't a one one deal move on for the rest of our lives thing like you want repeat business for their refinance down the road for their next purchase down the road for their next rental for you down the road right so a lot of this like if you're not providing top-notch service you're losing out on a massive opportunity at business down the road so i think that's just one of the the huge skills that make anybody in this industry successful so yeah, I definitely, definitely can appreciate that. So I've heard a lot of people, like a lot of concerns about short-term rentals. A lot of them come back to people that are just concerned about kind of the seasonality of short-term rental demand. What advice can you offer to those potential people that are looking to get involved, uh, but are kind of on the fence because of seasonality? You really need a plan. This isn't something, you know, again, and COVID, COVID really messed this up for, you know, the industry as a whole. You, if you're going to run a business, you have to have a business plan. If you're going to rent your house and you want to have an investment, you need a plan to make that profitable, right? Seasonality can be combated. You, you can switch. And we do for this for some of our properties. You can switch from a short-term rental to a medium-term to a long-term. For example, traveling nurses, doctors. Maybe like we've seen this happen too. You know, people paving highways, state employees who are working and having to move around in those cases, paving companies who are getting roads ready to go before the winter hits. There's ways to offset that money in the year-round space. You have to go looking for it. And that's the, that's the other downside to the short-term rentals. Everyone thinks, oh, Airbnb and Verbo will take care of it. Airbnb and Verbo are predominantly short-term rental platforms. You have yeah. Furnish Finder, you have your local MLS, you have local realtors who can list these properties, and there's nothing that says you can't rent to somebody for 30, 60, 90 days. 
that's a whole nother huge market that everyone who wants to do short-term rental seems to forget about. Uh, just because it's not, you know, the Airbnb, it's not glamorous to say, well, I'm renting my house for 30 days. You know, everybody wants to see that, you know, their occupancy is at 70%. They had 50 guests, you know, last year, you know, blah, blah, blah. But there is ways to offset it. And it, it comes from filling those carryover seasons in an appropriate way. So if someone were to get an investment property, run the short-term rental for a year and find themselves in a position where they're not cash flowing what they want. They have way too many, I guess, off seasons or off months. Like you are, you mentioned some of them, but how are they going to set themselves up to, you know, bounce back year two? What are some of the things that they should be looking at to kind of figure out if this property is being successful as a short-term rental market? Usually it comes down to two things. It's pricing and your location. If your property's not filling, there's only two reasons why, or I mean, there could be a lot more reasons, but the two predominant reasons would be you're either overpriced, you think your house is worth $300 a night, it's only worth 150 If you have a house that's in the middle of nowhere and not easy to get to, you think it's a nice retreat, most people won't think that's the case. So if you start diving into those things, you'll discover one of the two is predominantly a problem. In my experience, it seems to be pricing. We really go back and forth quite a bit with a lot of our clients on pricing. It's it, it's easier to rent your house 10 times for 120 bucks a time and gather that interest and momentum. And now all these platforms, which are based on algorithms, are seeing people are staying, they're clicking on your house. You're not making the $300 a night, but it's it's like a slow burn, right? You've, you're making some income, which builds traction, which means then down the road, if you've got demand, now you can push that price up a bit. And honestly, like if if anyone out there has gone on Airbnb, has gone on Verbo, has looked at any of these short-term rentals, like you're looking at how many times it's been used, how many times it's been visited, how many like five-star reviews there are. If you're overpricing it and nobody's showing up to this property, <laughs> all of those people like that your property might be perfect for somebody, but they're looking that there's four reviews. And it's only been visited a couple times, they're probably going to opt for the next option, right? So exactly, getting getting people in the door early, I feel like, has to be a, a huge, huge advantage to anybody that's trying to start in this business. And I think, like, when you're keeping on your even like all of these short term rentals, you also need to look at the the long term perspective of it. Like, if you're if you're buying this property, right, and, and not all of the ones that you guys are are using owned by you. But if someone's going out to purchase a property with the idea of using it as a short-term rental, they also have to look at the long-term goal, right? Even if you're at 40% capacity and you're not having it filled all the time, as long as you're covering your overhead, like you might not be profiting a ton each year. However, you're continuing to build a ton of equity in that property too. Right. So there's there's a lot of different ways to think about it. Obviously, you want to make sure that you are profitable every year. Like this, this can be a, a very lucrative business. But at the end of the day, like you need to make sure that you're looking at short and long term goals when you're kind of going through this process. So I definitely like that. So I always we just got your advice for for buyers who may be concerned. I always like hearing the flip side. What is the 
best piece of advice that you were ever given in your career? That's a tough one. I know I, I get a lot of different advice from a lot of different people, specifically because I'm fairly new. I mean, I've been doing this for a few years, but when I first got into the rentals, it was kind of interesting because we took over properties that are already renting. And so we also, we benefited from our clients saying, you know, here's what's worked in the past and here's what we think works with the house. And then we kind of moved it to ourselves, you know, and adjusted that for what we needed. But I really think the customer service piece is huge. I would say that's the best advice I've been given. And being it, it it's so cliche to say, because everybody says, you know, we're customer focused to a fault, you know, we're, we care about our customers. You know, we have data and metrics on it. If you text us at one o'clock in the morning and say, there's a problem, you're not getting an automated response that says, wait, you know, five hours, there's nobody on call. Somebody yeah. will be up and there in person, you know, whether we have to move you or, you, you know, whatever it is, that's that's the magic we have at least. And that's been the best. It's a pain. Let me tell you, it's a real pain to get a phone call. You know, for whatever it is at one o'clock, you know, two o'clock in the morning or on the holidays, you know, you're sitting down for Christmas dinner and all of the power goes out at somebody's house or there's a toilet that has an issue, you know, but it, showing up for people always has counted and it always comes back. You show up for this person, that person's coming. They may not say that property again. They're going to book with you again. They're going to call and we have... Actually, a good example of that is last summer now, it might have been two summers ago now, we had a family that stayed at a lake property and they stayed during like a kind of a stormy week and older properties on the water, when there's too much rain, stuff starts to bubble up, you know, the septic's back up and that kind of stuff. So they weren't able to use the toilets or the sinks. They had not really wait this out. We had, exactly, we had plumbers go out, you know, help. We were there. We helped move them. You know, we got to know these people pretty well over the course of like 48 hours. You know, you can do the refund, all that kind of stuff. We don't hear from them for like three or four months, right? We get a phone call out of the blue that said, hey, we stayed at one of your properties last year in Sunapee. We're staying in this town called Hanover. It's, it's about 30 minutes north of Sunapee. Uh, we're visiting our kids. We're babysitting. The dishwasher doesn't work. We remembered you guys helped us out. Do you think you could send someone over to help us with our dishwasher? I can't make it up. Literally called. Yeah. Which, totally out of the blue. They're at their own property. Uh, and, and that's the beauty of it. We get calls like that all the time. People will say, you know, we stayed and this was great. And we're visiting somewhere in New Hampshire, Vermont. And we want your advice on what, where should we rent? Where's a good place to go to dinner? You build that connection. Yeah. Love that. It's, I don't know. I just feel like anytime, again, you're in that customer for service facing role, the more, like the better the service you can provide, it's going to pay back in spades. Like, you're right. It absolutely, like, there are times where you have a guy's weekend in Maine. Like, this is this is with you this weekend, <laughs> right? And everyone's having a good time. You have to pull out your laptop and do something. And, like, nobody wants to do it, but, like, you need to do it in certain cases, right? Like, there are some things, like, a lot of stuff in this industry is very time-sensitive, Right. Whether it be someone's toilet overflowing, right? Like you need to call a plumber out ASAP. Well, there's going to be a lot of other bigger issues in that home. Right. And while a toilet overflowing isn't something that's ever going to bother me, right, in my business in the mortgage world, if someone needs to get, you know, a pre approval done, they need to get a pre approval done as soon as possible because offers 
might be due the next day. They might be due in the next hour, right? So everything is just so time sensitive. So if you have someone that is really focused on providing the best service, they're going to continue to win business. And I'm glad to hear that that's been paying off for you so far. And that's the reason that I continue doing what I'm doing on my side too. So it is good advice. But Spencer, that's where we're going to wrap things up. I appreciate you hopping on. A lot of good info for people that might be looking to get into short-term rentals, making money with short-term rentals. So I appreciate you hopping on. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is all for this week. Have a great rest of the day, guys. We'll talk soon. 